I, I get a bit personal. Um, and sometimes Kristen, she will challenge me as, as, your pas- as your pastor's spouse, you know, you don't always tell so many personal stories, and, and, and uh, especially if they're about her or my children, because uh, I don't really check with them before I share anything with you. Um, but today is going to be a bit personal. Uh, I'm going to share some personal stories with you. Um, we are going to dive into a lot of scripture today as well. Um, but but I, want, I wanted to start today by, by, by just giving you a little bit of an insight on kind of me and my journey. Um, when I was very young, my mom and dad were married uh, my entire childhood, my entire adult uh, life uh, until both of them passed recently. Um, uh, they were married, but they had a very interesting relationship. My dad was an incredible provider. He worked nights uh, at a newspaper in the community that I grew up in. My mom did not work most of her life, uh, at least through when I was in middle school. And then she had a job, and then she had a daycare in our home. Mom and dad had a really interesting relationship. Um, they even slept in separate bedrooms the last several years of their marriage. Um, but they were good parents, and they were good providers. Um, but because of that, from a very young age, I, my mom and dad, they kind of fought. Like, any of you guys, I mean, you don't have to raise your hand and, like, divulge everything. You grew up in a house where mom and dad just kind of fought all the time. They just kind of, and mom and dad, they, they had big, loud arguments, but they loved each other. Um, but anyway, so from a very young age, I had, I don't know why, but, and, and I, I think God gave me this. I think God gave me this this vision, this dream of the kind of husband and father that I would be. Not because my dad was a bad father. He was a great dad. In fact, I love my dad. A lot of the things that my dad and I did together, I'll never, ever forget. I cherish those moments. But um, I just had this vision, this dream of the kind of husband and father that I wanted to be. My dad worked nights, so my mom and dad were never together a whole lot in that parenting role. So I had this vision. I had this dream of what that was going to look like. And in my whole life, I kind of looked forward to meeting that woman that I was going to marry, that I was going to be that husband that I always dreamed about. And then when I had kids, I was going to be that father that I had this vision and dream about. And, 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 and that was firmly planted in my heart. And then around 1990, 91, I, I decided that, um, that I had been officiating high school sports for several years, and, and I had been in a relationship, and the girlfriend and I had broken up after two and a half years. Girl, I thought I was going to be, that I was going to marry, uh, and we broke up after two and a half years. And remember how a couple weeks ago I mentioned how, you know, that Garth Brooks song, Unanswered Prayers. That was one of those unanswered prayers that God answered in a way, and he knew exactly what he was doing because of the woman I'm with now, the person I married. But anyways, so in, in 1990, a couple of my buddies had gone to professional baseball umpire school, and uh, gotten jobs, and I had broken up with a girlfriend. Life was going kind of no. I, I saw it. all of a sudden this dream was birthed in me to become a major league umpire. I came home, told, told mom and dad, "I'm going to go uh, to professional umpire school." My mom looked at me, at me, and she said, "Well, great. I fully support you, but I'm not paying for it." Because uh, she had paid for a couple years of community college, it didn't work out real well. And so I paid for myself to go to professional umpire school. I had this dream of becoming a major league umpire. I got a job in professional baseball uh, and uh, began uh, umpiring in 1991 at the professional level. And um, two and a half years in, I meet this woman 
I meet Kristen, and it was love at first sight for me. I knew right away this was the woman for me. This was the one I was going to be marrying. Uh, that I was going to marry she will tell you that I had to grow on her for a little while and in fact if you're not really sold on me yet I grow on you I promise at some point in time I will have grown on you okay hopefully not in a negative way and so um, I started umpiring in 1991 I met Kristen uh, uh, on January 1st 2000 uh, uh, on January 1st 1993 and we were married in December, December 4th, 1993. So we knew each other for 11 months before we got married. Now, we got married in December, and March starts to roll around, and I'm going to go back to baseball. I've got to go to spring training in Arizona, and I'm going to be gone for nine months. I mean, we're just, we're not going to see each other much. And now, all of a sudden, my dream of being a husband and father and my dream of being a major league umpire collided. And all of a sudden, I was like, oh my goodness, how is this going to work? And I went to spring training that year, and, and I was not a believer. I was not a Christian at the time. And God sticks me in this hotel room with another umpire, and he's a Christian. And he, I just remember every night, he's on the phone with his wife, and they're praying together, and they're talking about, and he was a triple-A umpire, and, and his career was kind of ending, and, and, they're, and so... Uh, God just directed my path even when I wasn't following him, which is, do you know what we call that in the church? We call that prevenient grace. We, we call that grace that goes before you, and that's a whole other sermon. Um, but anyways, so, um, so anyhow, at the end of spring training, I came to this decision. I came to this decision that these two dreams couldn't collide. They couldn't collide. And so I had a choice to make. And so... In the very first week of the season, I made this, I made this determination that if, and this is going to sound weird, I, I was in single-A baseball, and I made this determination that if I got promoted to double-A, I was going to quit. If I got a promotion, I was going to turn the promotion down, and I was going to come home. If I didn't get promoted, I would be working in the California League, and Kristen would be in Oregon, we could at least see each other. Sure enough, I got to, left Arizona, to, got to Visalia, California, um, when we got to the hotel, there was a voicemail from my baseball supervisor. Give me a call in the morning. I knew what it was. I'd gotten promoted. And so that night, I made the decision. I was going to tell him no. In the morning, I was going to call. When I called, I was going to tell him that I was going to head home. And the umpire buddies uh, around me couldn't believe it. In fact, I almost grabbed it this morning. I have a baseball at home that... The, uh, that my umpire friend signed for me the night that I, re that I quit. And one of them has a phrase on it that I can't repeat in church. Uh, and one of them has, one signature said, it's really refreshing to see someone put their wife ahead of the game. So the next morning I called Ed Lawrence in Florida. And Mr. Lawrence said, Scott, I'd love to send you out to the Eastern League. And I said, Mr. Lawrence, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to turn down that promotion and head home. And I became the husband and father that God had placed this little dream and vision in my life. I went all in for my marriage. I made a decision that day that if I was going to do this, if I was going to be a husband, if I was going to be a father, that I would go all in. I made this decision that my marriage was going to be more important to me than anything else. 
And that ultimately being a dad was going to be more important to me than anything else. Have you ever done that before? Have you ever gone all in on something? Maybe a job? Maybe a choice, a decision that you were, go- that you were faced, that you were going to have to make? Hopefully a relationship like your marriage, you've gone all in on it. You know, we believe in, in, in the church, in the Christian church, that when two people get married, it's not a civil union in any way. It is that two become one flesh. Did, did, did you know that? That that's what marriage means for Christians? That we become connected so intimately that we become one flesh? And so have you ever determined or decided you're going to go all in like that? Well, I did that day. I remember the day. It was April 6th, 1994. I came home to be the husband and father that God had planted this little version in this little boy years ago. Now, let me share with you another time I decided to go all in on something. Now, there were other times in my life, I mean, there were times that, that I would temporarily go all in on something. And in fact, if you talk to my wife much or if, or if my mom was still living, she would tell you, of all of the phases and fads that Scott went through. I mean, there was one time I kind of went all in on this whole cowboy kind of theme. I mean, I had boots and the buckle and everything, and that was silly. You know, sometimes I've gone all in on golf, but when you can't hit the ball straight, you know, all in on golf really doesn't work that way, right? But let me share with you another time when I decided to go all in. So fast forward from 1994 to 2000. I'm a I'm a brand new Christian. I'm attending Eugene First Church of the Nazarene. And, and uh, do you remember when we used to have Sunday night church? Remember that? Well, Eugene First used to have Sunday night church. And um, ironically, we really liked to go to Sunday night church as a young family. And so we were at Sunday night church one night, and there was a pastor preaching, guest pastor. He was actually the assistant to our district superintendent. His name is Dr. Jim Healy. And Dr. Jim, he was preaching about uh, when he, he was a Christian, but he was, um, he was on a, uh, he was, uh, at that time he wasn't a pastor, but he was a traveling salesman, and he was in a hotel room in, a, in another city one night, and he was struggling with his career and what God wanted him to do, and, and he tells the story of kneeling at the, at the side of the hotel bed and just asking, just crying out to God and asking God to help him make the decision on whether to go all in for ministry or to stay in this secular job. And, and he just, he, he, he talks about just surrendering and giving in and allowing God to speak. And then God moved in his life and convinced him in his heart to go into full-time ministry. And, and he, he all opens the altars at the end of the service. And he says, if there's anyone here that just wants to go all in for God or just wants to surrender all for God, come forward. And, and I, it was one of those moments where where, um, you know, it's like there's, a, there's like a rubber band attached to the platform in your chest, and as soon as the, the pastor says the altars are open, that rubber band just grabs you and smacks you into the front of the altar. That was what happened with me and Kristen that night. And I get up there, and there's this little old man named uh, uh, Harold Olson. He comes down to the altar with us, because I'm, I'm a new Christian. I don't know what I'm doing down there. And he comes down, this man, he put his hand on my back, and he said, son, what are you doing down here? And uh, which, if you ever go to the altar with somebody, that's a great thing to ask them. Just, what are you doing down here? Anyway, so Harold says, son, what are you doing down here? And I said, whatever he was talking about, I want that. And he just kind of helped me pray through. And that was the night when I, when I 
when I move from being saved to in the church what we call sanctified. Completely surrendered to the will and purposes of God. That was the night that that, that moment happened in my life. I went all in for Jesus. Essentially, I said, from that day forward, that anything, any decision, any thought, any, anything that Kristen and I were going to face as a married couple, as parents, anything I was going to face as a, as a Christ follower, I was going to filter through Jesus. I was going to allow Jesus to speak and have authority in that. Now, that didn't mean that I was always going to go his way, but I was going to consider him in all things. I went all in for Jesus. Are you all in for Jesus? I mean, are you really all in for Jesus? Now, for some of you, you may say, absolutely. Some of you may say, well, maybe sometimes and maybe not. And I understand that. I understand that there are seasons, or there are times in our lives when circumstances and things that can, th- things that can happen that can cause us to waver. You know, you pray and you pray and you pray and you pray that God would heal someone that you love is sick, who is sick. And God doesn't heal them. God takes them home. And your version of healing was not losing them. But God's way of healing them was taking them home. And it doesn't make sense to you because you can't grasp that. you're You're so compelled by the grief that you can't recognize that God actually gave that person freedom. And because of that, we struggle with being all in for God because you took my mama. Now, as a, as, a, as a person, not a Christ follower, well, as a Christ follower, but not a pastor, I could have had a conversation with God like that. In 2007, God called me to the mission field, and yes, it is a mission field of South Dakota, And so my family moved to South Dakota in 2007. We left my mother and father and my siblings and my family, moved to a place we didn't know anyone to go into full-time ministry for the very first time. Now, my mom had had a sudden cardiac incident in 1991. She was living at that time with a heart transplant. And we were leaving Grandma Jen. Quinlan was a newborn. She was 15 days old when we answered this call to move to South Dakota. My mom did not have one Christmas in person with Quinlan until 2014. So we were all in for Jesus. We moved back to Oregon in October of 2014. Mom and Dad came to our house for Thanksgiving, but she went to the hospital right before Christmas. And they said, we're not sure if there's anything we can do. She says, well, I haven't had Christmas in person with my granddaughter. I'm going home for Christmas. Doctor said, you can go home, but you're coming back the next day. And so she came home, and we had one Christmas with Grandma Jen. And then we went back to the hospital in Portland, and they said, nothing we can do. Sent her home on hospice. My mama passed away on January 9th. And I preached her funeral a few days later. And I could have had a conversation with God. God, I went to South Dakota for you. And you bring me back to Oregon, and four months later, mama's gone. Three months later, come on. I could have had that. But if I'm going to be fully all in, I trust that the Lord's will 
was for grandma to go home because her heart was just too tired. It was just too much anymore. How about you? Have you had a circumstance, a season of your life where you're like, I want to have that conversation with you, God, because come on. I mean, my mama made the best potato salad for my birthday. Do you think he could have given me at least to June 11th? But he didn't. So on this question, are you all in, before you answer that question, did you know that we had a name for it? Did you know that we called it in the Church of the Nazarene? Did you know, or in the Wesleyan Holiness Churches, which we are, did you know that we had a name for it? And that, that name is sanctified. And, and I'll, I'll break that down and elaborate a little bit uh, more a little later, but essentially what this big church word of sanctified or sanctification means is it just simply means completely surrendered. It means giving in. It means surrendering our will to the will and purposes of God the Father. That's what, when, when somebody says being sanctified holy, it means that you're all in. You've, you've pushed everything in. You've surrendered everything. In, in fact, this is the thing that God keeps hounding us over our entire faith journey. Do you know that? That if you're a Christ follower and you sense God moving or doing things in your life and, and you, you're kind of walking in and out and wishy-washy and here and there with him, do you know that this pull of God that continues to just kind of be relentless in your life, do you know what it is? What it is is God saying, it's time for you to surrender all to me. It's, tire, it's time for you to give in. It's, tar, it's time for you to say, you know what, there are areas of your life that you haven't given me yet, so, and I want them. See, God has this ability through His Holy Spirit in the life of a believer to constantly be pulling us toward a deeper, more intimate, fully surrendered, committed relationship with Him. That's His deepest desire. Deepest desire. He wants Christians not to just be saved, but to be sanctified. He doesn't want Christians just to be in relationship. He wants them to be all in relationship with Him. It is a priority in the way that He moves in our lives. And it's important. In fact, I believe that now, in, in, the, in the season that we live in, we've got a lot of Christians we got a lot of saved people, but we don't have many, uh, very many sanctified people. We don't, have a, we don't have churches filled with whole heart surrendered Christians. And we need that. God needs that. In fact, I feel like one of the deepest responsibilities I have as a pastor is to lead people from being saved to being sanctified. See, I think the problem is we tend... As Christians, we tend to only look for just enough Jesus to get us into heaven. And then I think sometimes the church just gives us enough Jesus to keep us there. And we stop short of giving you enough Jesus that no matter what, no matter what you go through, no matter what you experience, no matter how bad it gets, no matter how good it is, that you'll jump in and out depending on the circumstances or the conditions that you're living in in that moment. I mean, what do you think? 
do you think the church has given you enough Jesus? I mean, do you think really? I mean, if you really, a couple weeks ago we talked about that examination. If you examined yourself, are you, are you, are you, are you going for enough Jesus? Do you, I mean, we fill up on a lot of things, right? Are you filling up on enough Jesus? See, and, and in every week of this series, we've talked about there's a process to digging deeper and to getting closer and to overcoming things. And there's a process for sanctification as well. There's a process for going all in. And the thing about this process that's, that should be really, really encouraging for all of us is that God does most of the work. God does most of the work. So where does this process even begin? Well, in Scripture, in Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 through 40, we see the, the, um, the, the, the thesis of this kind of, this, the, the concept, right? Jesus says, he says, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. And this is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Check this out. Jesus himself, he said that, listen, if you, if, if you, miss, if you forget everything I say, if you forget everything about today, if you forget when Jesus showed up and preached, it was like he would say, listen, if you forget everything that we talk about today, remember these two things. Love the Lord God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. And then, love your neighbor as yourself. Everything hangs on these two things. What Jesus is saying is this is what it means to be all in. Now, John Wesley, who is a theologian, and, and Wesleyan theology, which we are a Wesleyan holiness church, we derive some of our theology from John Wesley, and he was just a pastor, preacher, uh, teacher, and he had, do you know what theology is? Theology is, is simply the knowledge of God through experience and scripture and revelation, and so John Wesley, this theologian, he, 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 he wrote a, a lot of the theology that we, that we practice, but John Wesley called this unmixed love. He, 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 he took all of this thought of being all in, completely surrendered, sanctified, and he summed it up in this, that we should be, we should be so in love with God that it's unmixed, unmixed love. And so the question is, is it possible to love God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind, to love him in such a way that it's not mixed, that it's not shared or divided between things. Can we love God so much? I mean, and can we participate and be involved in, in all of the other things that we love? I mean, you love your Buckeyes. I love my ducks. But is there a way to love God so much that we don't mix those things? Is, is, is it possible to, 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 to have a hobby? Or is it possible to, to be an avid hunter? Is it, is it possible to have, these other, to have this career? Is it, is it possible to balance those so that they don't get in the way of loving God? Is it possible to do that? And that's the question that I'd like to try to, to at least open up so that we could begin to answer that in our own lives. Is it even possible to have unmixed love for God and other things. So as we talk about it, let's talk about you and I today. When you think about your walk with Jesus there, where would you say you are? Now, here's something that I would invite you to do. 
And this might be weird for some, it might not be weird for others. Um, I would love to invite all of you to participate in a little bit of a spiritual checkup. If you are interested and you reach out to me, call the office, you can make an appointment to come and see me at the office and just talk about where you're at spiritually. Here's how this would work. This is how uh, this would work. If you came and visited with me to do a spiritual checkup, I would ask you this question. Tell me how you got to know Jesus. And we'll just start right there. I would invite anyone and everyone to come and just have that conversation. If coming to the pastor's office is a little too intimidating for you, which it shouldn't be, because if you come to my office, you'll see I have toys in my office. But if that's too intimidating for you, I will take you to lunch. And I'll buy for your spiritual checkup. You just, and that's where it'll begin. Tell me your faith story. Just tell me your faith story. So here's the thing. On a scale of cold to cool, to lukewarm to warm to hot or on fire, where would you be? And, and this is an important question because, again, like I've said, there are all kinds of things that happen in life. I'm telling you right now, I am beat down tired. I want you to know something. This move is killing me. And I'm telling you that the preaching you've gotten over the last two or three weeks, if it's been good, it's not because I have prepared well. It's because God has delivered well. I'm, and I'm not kidding you. Today I'm running on fumes. And the Holy Spirit is what's preaching today. Because I don't, I'm dead tired. Uh, me and the heating pad are best friends right now. But where would you be? Cool, cold, lukewarm to warm, on fire? And, and recognizing that things happen that determine the temperature of your relationship with God. I mean, can you relate? I mean, maybe in your past. Maybe you remember the moment you were saved and, you were, and God did such a work in you that you, and you, it was just so amazing when you were saved and you were on fire for the Lord. But then something happened down the road and got you off track. I, I think when we, when we roll back time and look at those moments when we're saved when we when we recognize you know there's a process for that when you're saved you know that when you when you're saved something happens when you're saved you are then do you you guys know this word justified you heard this word in the church before you go from saved to justified do you know what that means justified means that everything you did wrong in your past all the sins from your past it's just as if you didn't do those things that's what happens after being saved after being saved and then when you move from saved to justified, you're born again, you're a brand new creation in Christ, which means you get to shed everything old and you get to start brand new. I mean, how many of us would love to do that, just even physically? I'd love, I asked Kristen, is there a backectomy? Can you get a backectomy? Can they give me a new one? I mean, can you remember a season when you were on fire, but over time the fire began to die down and smolder out? You remember when you were on fire for the Lord. Let me ask you, do you remember what happened when that fire started to go out? Was it a failure? Was it a disappointment? Was it a loss of a loved one? Was it a diagnosis? Or could it have been sin that brought about a consequence that put that fire out? See, in all honesty, what really surfaces, if we will dig deep enough, 
is when the fire burns out, we realize two things. The big one, which we will realize probably at the end, is that there's still that wrestling match between two things. It's kind of like baseball and my marriage. Baseball and my marriage. Your will or his will. That, that's probably the first one, and that's the one that we would address last. But normally, when, we, when the fire starts to go out, it's because we've let sin come back into our lives. Or there are still some, some unremediated sins in our life that we haven't allowed God to deal with yet. And we then choose to either keep on sinning because we don't really want to stop, or we seek a solution to overcoming that residual or unremediated sin, but we don't find the strength or the courage or the discipline to do it. See, we lack what it takes to defeat that sin that's kind of still there. And we, 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 we lack the courage to overcome it. So what do you think? Would you, see, would you say that if you, did, if, you, if you really did a serious assessment... Would, would, would you find yourself between that cold to cool, warm, lukewarm to warm, warm to on fire? Could you give yourself a pretty good assessment today? And here's the thing. If, you're, if the fire's gone out because of sin or unremediated sin, you really want a solution to that. You really want a solution to that sin. I mean, you may still be in it, but you want out of it. And you want a solution for and here's why. Because a Christ follower who still finds themselves in moments of sin, do you know what happens in the heart of a Christ follower when we sin? See, there's a difference because before you're a Christ follower, we believe in original sin. Original sin is that which we were born with from the fall of Adam and Eve. But once you're in Christ, we believe that that sin is now personal sin. It's knowingly, it, it, it's, it's, it's a, it's, it's, it's going against a known law of God. We know. As for a Christ follower, when you, when you sin, you know you're sinning before you sin. It's not like, whoop, that caught up on me. That one snuck up on me. Nothing sneaks up on you anymore. Because it's personal. And here's the thing. Here's why I know that every one of us, even if we have some sin still in our life, unremediated sin in our life, that, and I know you want victory over it because you beat yourself up over it. And why do you beat yourself up over it? Because the Holy Spirit lets you know ahead of it. Lets you know before it, hey, whoa, 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 where are you going? Why are you going down this path again? Oh, man, I went down that path again. I'm so sorry, God. You know that. You've had that conversation with God in your mind. You try to conquer it, but you just can't seem to do it. Some of us might be, be doing, I mean, we might be doing okay. We're living in a good way. I'm saved. But I still sin, and I know that's wrong, but I choose to do it anyway. I'm going to give God everything but this one thing. Here's the reality of this situation. You and I, are we're just not strong enough to overcome these residual sins, these unremediated sins, because I don't have the ability, and you don't have the ability, to cleanse your own heart. Only God has the ability to cleanse your own heart. And if you recognize this, if you recognize this today, then you're on the right track. You're on that track from saved to sanctified. And the beauty of God, it, of who God is, is He wants this 
more than you do. You have a God in heaven that wants this for you more than you could even wish for it. And we see this in three different pieces of Scripture out of Leviticus. Leviticus Leviticus chapter 11, verses 44 through 45 says, I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves and be holy, because I am holy. Do not make yourselves unclean by any creature that moves along the ground. I am the Lord who brought you out of Egypt to be your God. Therefore, be holy, because I am holy. And then in Leviticus 19, 2, he said, Speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, Be holy, because I, the Lord your God, am holy. And then in verse 20, Verse, uh, in chapter 20, verse 7, it says, Consecrate yourselves and be holy because I am the Lord your God. This is a big deal for God. And God is holy and there is no one like God, but God calls his people to be holy. The process of becoming holy is what we call sanctification. Another way to describe it is to be set apart by God to be set apart, to be in fellowship with him, and to be used by God and to serve God. And then in the New Testament, Peter, in 1 Peter 1, 13 through 16, he gives us another picture of this when he says, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you as holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be be holy because I am holy. This is so important because in the New Testament, Jesus is the example of what holiness looks like. That's why as Christians, we talk about being called to be Christ-like, to be like Christ. And this whole process begins when we love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. So how do you get there from here? How do we get to a place of unmixed love? Is it even possible? Is it even attainable? I I, I heard this in one of my religion classes when I was in Bible college. It goes like this. The work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer is is to reproduce the character of Christ in the believer. Let me give you a little picture of this. Let's say that I have like a bar graph of your faith. Okay, you, are, are you guys, any math people, bar graph people? Okay, so you have one point here and you take it to somewhere else, right? Well, the bar graph of faith is right here. The bottom is being saved, okay? And up here is sanctification. And then up here is glorification. Do you know what glorification is? I die and go to heaven, okay? So saved, sanctified, glorified, okay? Here's the thing. That line for most Christians doesn't go saved, sanctified, glorified. It goes, saved, eh, eh, sanctified. Kind of saved, whoa, whoa. Goes all over the place, right? So is it even attainable based on the fact that we live in a, in a, in a manner that goes up and down all over the place with our faith? Can we even get there? See, here's the thing. This, this bar graph we focus on saved and sanctified and glorified, but we don't spend enough time in the middle. Do you know what these moments are? So, I'm saved, I'm growing in grace, I sin. But I, keep grow- I get to grow back in His grace, and I fall again. But then I get to grow in His grace, but I get to a point where I'm like, I'm tired of doing this roller coaster ride anymore. And so I'm going all in. I'm going to be surrendered 
completely. I'm sanctified, holy. And so hopefully when you get to this point, this roller coaster ride of faith stabilizes. And you find this purity of heart that changes, changes you. See, when we begin to grow in grace and then we keep growing in grace, it's a process. It's where that process comes. But sometimes we just want what we want and we, even if it offends God, and we don't allow this process. Paul said it this way in Romans. He said in Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 14, he says this, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Because that growth in grace, you know, the grace of God is sufficient to cover all sins, right? So what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to Him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you're not under the law, but under grace. So we begin to embrace this scripture, but we just can't seem to do it. So we talk to God about it. And he says to us, if you want to be free from that, give it to me. But, you do, but just don't give it to me. Surrender it to me. It's kind of like, it's kinda like um, loaning a tool. Okay? If you came over to my house today and said, hey, Pastor, you got a nail gun? Oh, yeah, I got a nail gun. Um, I'll, give you, I'll, I'll let you borrow my nail gun. I'm going to give you that nail gun but you're going to give it back to me. I ain't surrendering my nail gun to you because I want it back. And see, that's what happens with sin. We will give God that sin, but we won't surrender it because deep down, we want to we keep the opportunity of taking it back. And see, what God says to us is if you want this whole sanctification, this whole heart surrender to work, you got to give it to me and then you got to surrender it to me with no prospects of taking it back. See, that's a difference. I can give God the sin of this or the sin of that. But if I just give it, I can take it back. But if I surrender it, it belongs to Him now. I don't have ownership rights of it. I've let it go. 
And when we begin this process of dying to our sin and dying to ourselves and surrendering things, as we begin to grow in this process, and eventually what happens is you will work through so many things that you should, you should have kind of dealt with before, but for some reason you couldn't. You know, here's the thing. There, in your faith journey, there will be times when things are easy. When I first got saved, the first thing, the first two things were alcohol and my language. Those were easy, but there were other things that was harder. I held on to those for a lot longer until I finally surrendered them. And you'll find that is true for you as well. But what we discover along this process is the hardest thing to do is to move from just giving something up to surrendering it. Why? Because it's not just that thing. It's just not that, 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 it's not just alcohol. It's just not pornography. It's just not that thing. It's really your heart that is the issue. See, because the heart is so powerful in the life of a person and in the life of a believer. You know, when you hold on to some sin or you have unremediated sin in your life, um, you need to take the focus off that thing and recognize that it's something in your heart that's holding on to that. Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 23 through 27 says it this way. God says, I will show you, I will show the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, the name you have profaned among them. And then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the sovereign Lord, when I am proved holy through, your, through you before their eyes. For I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and, I will, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new heart in you. I will remove you from I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will, put, I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. See, the heart is the key in the process of sanctification because the heart wields so much power and so much authority. That's why God wants to exchange yours for his. That's the key. Our part of this sanctification process is to surrender our heart and allow God to do the rest. So does that mean that if, if I surrender, that if I'm sanctified, does that mean I will never sin again? Yes. That is what God's desire is for you. When he sanctifies you wholly. But you know what that's dependent on? That's dependent on the intentions of your heart because as long as you live in this flesh you are still capable of sin see the intentions should become pure but the flesh is still an influence it's kind of like my mom when my mom got her heart transplant for the rest of her life do you know what she had to do she had to take what they call anti-rejection medicine because that heart that she got her body thought it was foreign tissue and so her body constantly tried to attack that new heart. And unfortunately for us in the human condition, even when God gives us a new heart, our flesh will reject that. 
our flesh will continue to reject what God wants to do in us. And so we have to, through prayer and the reading of his word and worship and fellowship, all those things, that's God's anti-rejection medicine. That's how we reject the flesh's power to overcome what God does in our life. See, her flesh rejected the heart's intentions. See, that new heart's intentions in my mom were pure to keep her alive and to work. Just It was a 19-year-old heart that this 49-year-old woman got. It was amazing. 54-year-old woman got. And its whole purpose was purity. But her body said, no, 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 you're not right for me. See, that's what God wants to do in all of us. He wants to give you a new heart, and he wants you to empower you to not reject what he's done in you. See, that can be true for each one of us. And I know that anyone here, I, I really truly believe if you're stuck in some situation of sin, you don't want to sin anymore. You want to grow in the strength and the character of God so that you can overcome that. And it's good news. Because this good news means that you don't have to sin anymore. You don't have to be a slave to that anymore. This means that you have so much growth potential. In a world that tells us so many times that you are what you are and you're never going to get past that. You know, whether there's someone in this room that's heard this about them or you've spoken this over someone or you know someone in your family, you're, you're an alcoholic and you're always going to be an alcoholic. You're an abuser, and you're always going to be an abuser. You have anger issues, and you're always going to be... No, that is not God's truth spoken over us. God says, you were, a, you were a, a, an alcoholic, you're redeemed. Now live in the power of redemption. You're an abuser, you don't have to abuse anymore. See, God's power to heal and provide victory over sin is deep. It's deep and it's powerful. How do you get there? Well, you surrender. You give in. Well, Pastor, I got a, I got a laundry list of things. There's this one picture of sanctification, of, of it being a whole house. Kristen and I really wanted to downsize when we moved here. We really did. We got rid of furniture. We didn't get rid of enough. We did. We really, really wanted to downsize. I was like trying to get a condo, no yard. Just give me a basement. But that, and, and, and we're blessed because our, our, our adult, two of our adult children are coming to live with us. And so we bought a bigger house. And so there's this picture of sanctification of this big old house. And in this house... You have open doors to everywhere except that one closet. And every one of us have that closet. You do. All of us do. You have a closet in your house where you've shoved so much into it that you have to literally throw your body against it to get the door to latch. And when people come over, you show them the entire house, but you don't show them what's behind that door. In fact, you, you, you keep them away because if they open that door, what comes out of it would probably kill them because you just shove everything in there, right? Well, there's this picture of sanctification where you give God the entire house, but there's one room that you keep for yourself because you've stuffed all your junk and your sin and the things that you don't want him to see. But God is powerful and he's sovereign and he's all-knowing. He knows what's behind that door. 
And what he wants is for you to deal with it. He wants you to surrender it. He wants you to give it up. And see, for some of you, you may be like, Pastor, I got a whole house full of stuff I need to surrender. Where do I even begin? One thing at a time. Just one thing at a time. Just do what I did. All right, God, it's alcohol. It's language. It's pornography. Can I be vulnerable with you for just a minute? You're not going to hold this against me, right? Raise your hand if you're not going to hold what I'm going to say next against me. And then I'm going to wrap. Everybody should raise your hand. If you're not raising your hand, I'm going to be upset with you. <laughs> when I was saved, I, was, I drove a, an Aramark laundry truck. And I was the dirty joke guy. And I was the adult magazine guy. Because I drove into a lot of garages. I serviced mechanics and stuff like that. And so they would have the, the, the newest adult magazine, and so would I. And as I was delivering their stuff, we would do these things, and, you know, we'd share. So in my Aramark laundry truck, I had, I had, a, I had a, a Rubbermaid container in my truck that had some adult magazines in it. And the morning I was saved, April 25th, 2000, in the back of my Aramark laundry truck behind the Apple Tree restaurant, I was saved. The first thing God convicted me over was my language and alcohol. And I went in and I delivered towels and uniforms and picked up their smelly laundry from the Apple Tree restaurant, got my truck, and I went to my next stop was the Fred Myers, which is a Kroger out Kroger in Cincinnati. That's Fred Meyer in Oregon. And I went to Fred Meyer and I drove behind Fred Meyer and I took all of those adult magazines and I put them in a red shop towel bag, tied it, and threw it into their dumpster. Surrendered. Okay? So you go one step at a time. You surrender one thing at a time. You give it one thing at a time. How do you do that? How do you do that? First Thessalonians chapter 5, 16 through 24. Rejoice always. I was so filled with praise, I wanted to get rid of everything ugly. Be so filled with praise that you get rid of everything ugly. Pray continually. Ask God, does this please you? No, it doesn't. Get rid of it. God, does this glorify you? No, it doesn't. Get rid of it. Give thanks in all circumstances. God, I made a mistake, and I'm having to pay this consequence, and I'm angry about it. God says, no, be grateful that there's a consequence. Pay the consequence, deal with that, and God will glorify you on the other end. Serve your time, deal with it, and God will glorify you. For this is God's will. God's will. Rejoice always. Pray continuously and give thanks in all circumstances. You want to begin to surrender things? Do those three things. That's our part. Another one. Do not quench the Spirit. God is moving and doing things in your life. Don't quench the Spirit of God in your life by going back to things that He took you out of. I mean, if you were one of these people that, that you went to the bar and, and the person you were on Friday and Saturday nights is not the person you are on Sunday morning and God took you out of that, don't quench the Spirit of God by going back on Friday and Saturday. Find something else to do. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. So read the Bible. And if the Bible says, if the Bible, if Jesus himself says, don't be angry. 
don't let anger be, in fact, if you have anger in your heart, you've already committed murder. Test that. Test that. Go, wait a minute, wait a minute. God, you're kind of right because I've been so angry with that person that they're really dead to me. Don't, like lust, don't look lustfully at someone else because you've already committed adultery in your heart with them. Test that. Boy, I've had those thoughts about my neighbor's wife or my neighbor's husband. And, and you're right, I've already put myself in this place where I'm, I don't look at my spouse the way I should. Test those things and reject every kind of evil. So that's our part. That's the surrender part. And here's the good news for all of us. Verse 23. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless in the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ because the one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. So if we can surrender, the God of peace is faithful and he will sanctify you. He will he will do open heart surgery on you. Take that heart of stone out and replace it with his heart of flesh and all of a sudden your character and your intentions will become like his. And if you continue to press in and pour in and allow him to continue to work in your life, the, all of a sudden you will, you will begin to face things in your life that, that, that had mastery over you and you will master them they will have no power or hold on you any longer may the god of peace sanctify you through and through he is faithful he will do it but you have to let go you have to surrender how about if we do this how about if everyone closes their eyes bows their head nobody's going to look around but me and it's after 12 so i'm going to wrap up quick if, if anything that we've talked about today speaks to you today about deepening your relationship with God, moving from a place of just being saved to being sanctified, to saying, God, if there's truth to this deeper commitment, this deeper relationship with you, if that is something that you desire or is appealing to you, would you simply, nobody looking around but me, just slip your hand up. Just slip your hand up. I have one, two, three, four, five. Anyone else? Six, seven. Anyone else? Come on, don't be, don't be shy. Oh, nobody's looking to be me. There's seven or eight of you. All you have to do this morning is you just have to say, Lord, I realize I've been holding on to things. I've got a tight grip on some things, and I need to let them go. I need to surrender them to you. And I don't know what they are, but you do. Sometimes, God, you even know things that we're holding on to that we don't even know we're holding on to. Would you, these seven or eight that raise their hands, just slip their hands up. May, may you, the God of peace, sanctify them through and through. Give them the power and the courage and the strength to be holy as you are holy by letting go, not just giving up, but surrendering. Foregoing ownership, the right of retrieval of these things that they know aren't con that are contrary to you. Just in this moment, it's like our clenched fists open and we give and we surrender 
And God, you take, and now we have no ownership of those anymore. We have no right to come back to them. There's freedom in that. If you truly, truly this morning believe that God has the power to not just take, but to receive that which is surrendered and let it die, then this process of sanctification has begun in your life. This, this, this holy, and this is a growth in grace. Every day, deeper and deeper, I'm going to let go of that and, and celebrate those victories. Rec- rejoice always. Recognize every moment that God gives you victory over something, praise Him. And when he, recogn- when, when he reveals to you something else, surrender it away. Surrender all. Just give it away. Give it up. And let God take it forever. If you prayed that, if you just kind of walk through that process, you've opened your heart up today for God to do a deeper work in you. And we believe God is faithful and just, and he will do it. May God, you sanctify each and every one of us holy through and through. Just through your power and your grace, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, God bless you.